Okay, praise the Lord. Good to be here tonight, uh, continuing our Thursday night ministry series. And uh, we uh, began the semester by talking about getting into Exodus, and we haven't gotten into Exodus yet. Uh, but we'll see how the Lord leads. Um, we enjoyed uh, last week, uh, Professor Ken Diller, who's the advisor to our group, uh, shared with us on science in the Bible. How many of us enjoyed that? Yeah, that was very nice. And uh, before that, we began this uh, outline, which we have again in our hands, called Building a Foundation. Uh, we felt uh, to get into this matter uh, as young believers in Christ, to uh, learn how to build a foundation so that the Lord can have his testimony on this earth. So uh, two weeks ago, uh, Brother ne Neil covered the first two points here. Uh, number one, becoming a praying person. And number two, becoming a Bible reading person. And uh, we, uh, we spent some time with both of those points. And uh, before I go on to the next point, I would like to underscore some points uh, concerning this. But even before I mention that, I'd like to talk about just again the principle of laying a foundation. Yeah. Laying a foundation. You know, um, you may not consider it that much, but your, your undergraduate college years will go quickly by. And before you know it, you'll be a senior walking out of here, probably throwing up the horns, and so excited that you're done. But without realizing, four or five years just flew speedily by. But during that time period, what you have to realize is you are laying a foundation for the rest of your life. Because the way that you live your college years will be most likely... Most probably the same way you live the rest of your Christian life. So you have to realize in these years, whether you're conscious about it or not, you are pouring a foundation. You're pouring a foundation. So the way that you live right now for the next several years as you go through college will establish the way that you live your life. Now you might say, well, you know, when I get out of college, then I'm going to get serious. And, uh, you know, I'll find a husband then, probably, maybe, kind of, or a wife. And th then we're going to get serious about stuff. Uh, actually, the way you live right now uh, is the way that you will live probably for the next uh, several decades of your life. That's why tonight, and henceforth, for the next several years... It would be so wonderful if you made a definite aspiration to live by pouring a foundation in a particular way concerning Christ. And that is, number one, what's here, becoming a praying person. You know what it means to become a praying person? That means to become a dependent person. Uh, guys, I know that's rough. We're very independent. We're strong. We're proud. Um, we really think we're special. I know I did. Uh, you know, I just thought I was kind of an exceptional person. And uh, as you begin to go through life, year, year by year, you begin to realize 
Well, as a matter of fact, you're not so exceptional. You're just like everybody else. But what might be different is the way that you poured the foundation in your formative years during college. And so that's why, firstly, this matter here, becoming a praying person is a, is a great thing. And of course, Neil uh, gave us the example of someone who breathes. When you, how often do you breathe in a day? You never stop, right? That's because you are dependent upon breath. If you stop breathing, how long do you have? Maybe five minutes? Five minutes. Both, my, both of my older girls were lifeguards, and so they studied this matter a lot. And they say if you have five or six minutes, and that's it. So you don't have long if you stop breathing. So spiritually speaking... To become a praying person is to learn how to become a dependent person upon God. So, even as you go through your undergraduate career, <clears throat> I know maybe this prayer gets tossed out, Lord Jesus, I really need an A right now. Oh Lord, how about an A? Uh, that's okay. It's okay to pray that way. But we have to learn how to uh, make mention of many things in our daily life. We need to learn how to open our being and have a conversational prayer life with the Lord. Talk to the Lord. I do this to this day, even as I'm driving around UT. Lord Jesus, again, another day, I need another parking place. Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> and I talk to the Lord. I open to the Lord. Rodney, I still do it. You know, this is, this is year number 33 for me on the UT campus. And I'm still looking for a parking place, Rodney. <laughs> Let me know if you find one, all right? But you know what? That is the basis of living a dependent life. We have to learn how to pray, not in a formal way, not in a religious way, but in a living way. In an organic way, in a dependent way, where we open our being and say, Lord Jesus, I need you right now. Oh Lord, Lord, help me. Lord, strengthen me. I don't know if I can make it through this next week. Oh Lord. Oh Lord, I open to you. Simply opening to the Lord. This is the genuine prayer life. And that's what we're talking about here. First, First Thessalonians 5.17 says, unceasingly pray. And of course, this is what Neil referred to. What do we do unceasingly? We breathe, right? Physically, we breathe. So in our prayer life, this is what we want. We want to learn how to practice. To do anything well, you must practice. Even to learn how to pray, you have to practice. So we have to practice all the time uh, making mention. Maybe, maybe you're concerned, uh, you have some anxiety. Maybe not just about the class, maybe you have some anxiety about some family members. You know, we live in a troubled world, in a troubled society. And I don't know that there's any families that are just perfect. Everyone goes through trials and tribulations. And sometimes those things weigh on you heavily. 
They, they weigh you down. They cause concern, anxiety, pressure. Sometimes even as far as depression. So while we're in those conditions, that's when we must learn how to open and depend on the Lord. And learn how to simply make mention of things to the Lord. And say, Lord Jesus, I'm, I pray for my dad right now. Lord Jesus, take care of him. Lord Jesus, I don't know what to do to help him, but you know what to do. Oh Lord, I need you. Oh Lord Jesus, I need you. Let's all say that. Oh Lord Jesus, I need you. That's a great prayer to say. Because you are breathing and you're dependent upon him. So with all the troubles and tribulations in human life that come with our families, school, finances, and so many other things, uh, to, to become a praying person is spiritually to become a breathing person. And if you're a breathing person, if you know how to breathe, this makes you a healthy person. Physically, breathing is extremely important, and so much the more spiritually. When we learn how to pray in this kind of way, this makes us a healthy, spiritual person. This is to lay the foundation in your younger years, your college years, to learn how to open to the Lord. Okay, this is, this is a big point. Uh, I would just say, practice. Practice these things. Practice simple prayers. Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I'm really angry at that professor. Lord, I need help on this test. Lord, I need help studying. Lord, I can't quit watching Netflix. <laughs> Lord, help me find the right study partner. How many prayers in a day can you just have a conversation with the Lord and open to Him? Listen, to practice in this kind of way is how we begin to breathe spiritually. We have to learn to breathe spiritually. So, um, this, this is a great, great thing. Uh, a number of years ago, actually five and a half years ago, my, my oldest daughter was in the hospital. And um, anyway, she had caught an extremely severe pneumonia. And uh, her, her lungs were 85% filled with fluid. Whoa. So she had 15% capacity left. And uh, so, of course, the number one concern at that moment was her ability to take in oxygen. And so, of course, they had an oxygen mask on her. And they also, they did, they gave her some sedation to slow things down so that she would breathe with the remaining percent availability uh, with more intake. So she was in a desperate state. Thank the Lord she survived, and she's fine now. But at that moment, the key concern was her breathing. And I would say in our Christian life, we have to be so concerned about our spiritual breath. So we have to learn and practice breathing. Oh Lord, help me. Amen. Say that. Oh Lord, help me. Yeah, it's good to say that. It's good to 
even say it audibly, not just in your brain, but we have to learn how to speak these things with our mouth. Oh Lord, supply me. Oh Lord, fill me. Now, you don't have to scream like that on campus. <laughs> or in your classroom, obviously. But certainly, under your breath, or as you're walking, as you're just living your daily life, as you're in your dorm room, you can make mention of these things, even out loud. Lord, I need you. Lord, come in to me right now. Help me. Fill me. Strengthen me. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me with this project. All these little prayers are a spiritual breathing. If you practice this now, while you're in your undergraduate career, you will begin to develop a proper, excellent habit of spiritual breathing. It's very good, very helpful. Then, later in life, when larger problems, uh, more complicated situations come, you will already be in a habitual practice of breathing. This is a great thing, okay? So, be a praying person. Not just formally and so forth, that's good. You should come to a prayer meeting, that's awesome. Last night the prayer meeting was just incredible, amazing. That's great if you'll, and we'll get to that point on the very end. Uh, but I'm talking about here, not just a formal prayer once a week. I'm talking about a breathing person daily, every day. Okay, next, becoming a Bible reading person. Of course, Neil spent quite a bit of time on this point, an uh, excellent point, and uh, just wanted to uh, make mention that, you know what inspires all of us are patterns, patterns. When we see people and know people that live a certain way, it inspires us. Um, it's an amazing phenomenon. Uh, my, uh, uh, my wife and I, we have four children. And so, you know, during the course of that time, my wife put on some weight. And in the last six months, she, she's lost 46 pounds. And so she's very excited about that. And she's, you know, exercising and eating in a particular way. And as a result, it's amazing all these other people that she knows have started losing weight. <laughs> because they've seen somebody do it. And a pattern motivates us. A pattern inspires us. A pattern puts in us the thought, I can do that as well. So in the matter of Bible reading, I would say it's very good to know others who have this habit because they become a pattern to us and these patterns they inspire us don't they will they motivate us and you know I, I was uh, I was touched by Ken's testimony last week when he said you know he reads the whole Bible through once a year Whitney how about that yeah. inspiring right <laughs> inspiring but Ken just did that one day at a time. And so that inspires all of us. We also would like to read the Bible just one day at a time until we could say, I would love to say I've read the Bible every year, once a year. Sure. What, what an inspiring pattern, right? 
And uh, I would have to testify, my, my father's also been the same way for many decades now. He's read the Bible through once a year, and he does this habitually. In his Bible, he actually, um, or one of his Bibles, he has a good number of them, he actually records, um, I think, weekly where he is. He just puts a little uh, mark and date and so forth. And so one of his Bibles has all these dates. Um, and that's because he's been past that many too many times, you know. And so he just records it. And so he just goes through it quietly, methodically, daily. And yet to become a Bible reading person, it changes you. It affects you. There's no other book like the book. You know the word Bible, it means literally the book. The book. If you go to the PCL right there, in that library, right here close to us, it's the biggest one on campus, Perry Castaneda Library, the largest of 17 libraries on campus. There are over one million books in that one building right there. I talked to a librarian recently. <laughs> That's a lot of books. But there's only one book whose title is The Book, and that is the Bible. And by the Lord's mercy, that book is available to all of us today in many ways, shapes, and forms, electronically, on paper, uh, audio. I mean, there are so many ways now. My wife's favorite current way is she has an app on her phone, and it reads the Bible to her. So she's often doing chores around the house, but she likes to uh, turn the Bible on. It's a Bible reading app, and it literally is reading the Bible. So sometimes I come home from being on campus, and she's there, and she's doing some things, and she has the Bible, and it's turned on. And she does that quite frequently. She also reads the Bible as well. But there are many ways to take in the living Word. And so... Uh, as with many others, this is her habit. She loves to take in the Bible. She loves to read the Bible. And if we read the Bible now, when you have lots of tests and lots of hours, then maybe when the spouse and kids come along and somebody has a fever, you still will maintain your habits. But if you don't read the Bible now, or you read it once every six months or a couple times here and there, and do not establish this habit, then when life progresses and gets more difficult and more complicated, I know it doesn't sound possible, but it is, then you will maintain that habit of daily Bible reading. I love to read in the morning and rise up and, and be in the Word. I really enjoy that. My house is usually very quiet, and so I can really get into it, and I very much enjoy that reading. And this is something I do daily. And eventually, uh, it just becomes habitual. And so this is what we're talking about, probably one of the greatest achievements that you could ever have at UT, is to become a daily Bible reader by the time you graduate. So this is a this is a great thing. Uh, the Bible uh, it becomes your spiritual food, your spiritual drink, your wisdom, your light, 
uh, it becomes your shield, your hiding place. Uh, as you pass through the most difficult things in human life, I would say uh, it is the book which will take you through. Uh, when, when my daughter was in the ICU for 17 days and she was unconscious there, you know, I, some brothers had called and we had some good prayer, but honestly, I was not that comforted. But you know, I rose up early, very early one morning, and I was reading the Bible as I normally do. And the Lord spoke to me a very clear word in that Bible. And you know what? That word comforted my heart. I got, I got sustained. I got supplied. The Lord spoke to me. This is me. Do not be afraid. And you know what? That was a rhema word that supplied me, sustained me, and comforted me. And I would just say, as we pass through life's storms, which are many and are coming, you know what? The Word of God is the anchor to our soul. And so if we have a habit of daily Bible reading, this will become something that will change our entire inward constitution. So, anyway, a uh, tremendous point on building a foundation and laying a foundation as a Christian in your college years is to become a Bible-reading person. Also, uh, here among Christian students on campus, what's so excellent is that there's other Bible readers around us. And they inspire us, motivate us, check with us, ask us questions, sometimes convict us, uh, sometimes outright bother us, and ask us, hey, how's your Bible reading going? Or what did you read today? Or questions like these that encourage us and strengthen us to actually read the Bible. So this is a great thing. This is a great matter. And uh, we have to realize as we get filled up with the Bible, you know, eventually we begin to speak the Bible. So the Bible, as we read it, it comes into us, it begins to fill us, and it begins to change our inward constitution and make us a Bibleized person. And when that happens, there's something of truth and something of light that's inside of us that we have to offer others. And this makes you a very significant person. Okay? Uh, okay. Uh, the last verse there under becoming a Bible reading person is John 21, 15. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. The question is, how are you going to feed the Lord's lambs? How will you feed them? And with what will you feed them? Are you just an exciting person to be around? And uh, you have great ideas? The real food to all sheep is the Word of God. It's a living Word that's that you have eaten, digested, assimilated, and now you also can speak it to someone else. You know what? That is living food that feeds all the sheep. 
And I can testify, I have been fed uncountable number of times being on campus by so many other Christian brothers and sisters who've been here, who have been enjoying the Bible and feeding me just by their being in the Word, reading it, eating it, enjoying it, assimilating it, and digesting it. That Word becomes something in them so rich, and eventually I get fed by that Word because they speak that Word to me. So, so wonderful. Um, so this is, this is a practice, I would say, that is a major practice in pouring a foundation as a college student. Listen, the whole world is against you reading the Bible. The electronic age is against you reading the Bible. There is a mind behind the scenes that would love for you to never read the Bible or only read it once in a great while. How about buck the trend? And become a daily Bible reading person. Pour a foundation so that every day you just become a person. I don't mean you have to spend three hours reading. Just start with five minutes. Start with a small portion and just begin to read. Actually, we have done many studies on this. You know, to read most chapters of the Bible at a normal reading rate takes about three and a half minutes for the average reader. Now, whether you're average or not, that's up to you. But the point is, it's not that long even to read one chapter. But that one chapter will have a profound effect upon your inward being and even upon all that you can do with other Christians, especially in feeding them. Okay, okay. all right, that's too much already on those two points, but I want to go on now. Uh, so point number three, let's read this point all together on our outline. Ready? Go. Okay, so besides these first two points, becoming a praying person and becoming a Bible reading person, number three, uh, this is a great matter in our becoming Christians who are pouring a foundation and living a proper Christian life and developing our inward being so that we're people full of life and light. Okay, so becoming a conscience-caring person. First of all, we have to ask the question, what is your conscience? What is your conscience? Well, we could spend a long time getting into this matter, but in simplicity, it's the part, it's the deepest part in your spirit that basically either accuses you or excuses you from everything that you do. It's the part inside that is the life gate for Christ to flow. The conscience was given to us by God to help us live. When man fell, Initially, man was simply under God himself. But when man fell, uh, he fell in successive ways until eventually uh, man had to be under the rule of man himself and, and the government of man. And his state of existence uh, became quite low. Can you imagine today what would society be like if they just said, 
police officers, you're all released. We're not having any of you guys. And no, no government, uh, no, uh, no National Guard. Uh, okay, everybody, just live the way you want to. What would society turn into, Michael? Not good. Not good. I would call it total anarchy. I would even say today in the society that exists today, there is a thin line between total bedlam and confusion and order. You look at places that, uh, like for instance, when Katrina went through, what starts happening immediately when the police are removed? Chaos, looting, rioting, uh, many evil things begin to take place instantaneously. So this matter of having um, authority keeps society in check because mankind unchecked is a scary thing. But the Lord has given man a conscience. And especially as a believer in Christ, when you receive Christ, your conscience becomes enlivened. And at that point, you could say it becomes sensitive. So the conscience of man is the part in man that um, regulates us and causes us to know what is right and what is wrong. Ultimately, the Lord would like us to be brought into a living which is fully under God himself. But before that stage, he has given us the conscience. And in Romans chapter 2, it says the conscience is there in every man bearing witness. So the law of God is there inside of us. Um, you know, you don't need a law to tell people that murdering another man is, some, is wrong. Why is that? Because the conscience already witnesses that that's wrong. And the most base way, this is before a person becomes a Christian or anything. But after we receive Christ and He comes to live in us, our conscience gets enlivened. And it becomes sensitized. Now, what I want to talk about here simply is this. We want to become a conscience-caring person. That is, caring for the life level and faith level in our conscience. And learning how to maintain that in a daily way. Okay? So let's read 1 Timothy 1.19. Ready? Go. Okay. You know, our conscience is like a vessel. And it's a vessel that holds faith. And here's what happens. When, when we commit a sin, great or small, that vessel gets punctured. And when that puncture takes place, you, you can say faith or life begins to leak away. And until we come back and take care of that offense in our conscience, there is a small leakage in our conscience from faith. So if we're a person who goes through life and we commit one sin after the next sin after the next sin and we don't take care of our conscience, eventually 
our conscience will leak away all the faith that is in us. And so we have to become conscience-caring persons. That is, people who care for the life level in our conscience. And that's why this verse says, holding faith in a good conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience concerning which some thrusting these away. There's some people who thrust these away. It says have become shipwrecked regarding the faith. What happens when a boat gets shipwrecked? It gets punctured and then what? It sinks. There's no more uh, buoyancy. Uh, there's no ability. Uh, and so in our Christian life, you know what, we want to maintain a good conscience. Because otherwise, the life level in us will leak away. So, um, you know, listen, all of us, we have a conscience, and our conscience affects us. And what we need to be encouraged and strengthened to do is to maintain a good conscience. So that when something happens, an offense comes, which does happen, I would say, in our daily life, offenses come or sins happen, whether they're major or minor, in a daily way. Right? We can't avoid this. But what we can do is practice maintaining and caring for our conscience. Okay? Now, I've said that several times. Let me get right to the point. How do we do that? How do we do that? Once the, once the puncture has happened, once the sin has happened and life has begun to leak away, the first thing is, well, let's read this verse at the end here, 1 John 1, 9. Let's all read that. Ready? Go. If so the first step is confess our sin. Confess our sin. So... Um, you know, the, there's only one person we need to confess to, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So when we go to Him and confess our sins, that's the first step to maintaining a good conscience. Okay, I'll give you an experience. The other day, I went to Taco Cabana with my kids. They were so excited. We were getting breakfast tacos, which is their favorite. And uh, I gave them a $20 bill, and, the, and the, the price was something like $9 and something change, I forget. And then the guy gave, I didn't realize it at first when the guy handed me my change, he handed me two tens and some change. And so I didn't see it because I just grabbed it and put it in my pocket. And then uh, we went, went, went on to school and so forth. The day went on. Well, the next day, I... I I began to realize, wait a minute, wait, I think I gave the guy 20, and now I have $20 and some change. <laughs> and my first reaction was like, score! <laughs> and, uh, and then I, uh, that was, actually, I think I looked at that, that evening, and the next morning I got up, and I was spending time with the Lord, and the Lord was saying, what about that extra 10? And uh, I was like, well, Lord, um, you know, if the guy's dumb enough to give it to me, I deserve that. <laughs> and, uh, 
and the Lord said, no, 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 that's, that's not good. Then I had another excuse, and then another excuse, and finally I said, you know what? Oh, Lord, that was, this is not righteous. I, this is not my money. And so uh, I had to drive back to Taco Cabana. Well, okay, I wrestled with the Lord for about four days over that $10. <laughs> and I, I had it there on my desk. I did take it out of my wallet and had it sitting there. And every day I looked at it, I was like, that's my money. And the Lord kept saying, no, that's not your money. And uh, so eventually, uh, by spending time with the Lord and in the Word, uh, I think it was on a Thursday, I can't remember exactly, I went back uh, went back to Taco Cabana and I said, can I talk to your manager? I just wanted to, I needed to give this money back. And he's like, what? This money? He's like, that's no problem. I said, no, it is a problem. You have to take this money back. He almost wouldn't take the money back. <laughs> but I said, no, sir, you have to understand, you, this money belongs to your store. Uh, the a cashier, I think, must have been new or something, and they made a mistake. And so eventually they took the money back, and he, he was amazed. He was amazed. And my conscience was so good. And I felt, uh, inwardly, I felt peaceful. I felt light. I felt buoyancy. My ship was floating. And I was going through my Christian life and exercising to maintain my conscience. Now, a couple of more quick verses. I know my time's out here. Um, Acts 24, 16. Let's read this. Ready, go. Because of this, I also Underline, without offense, toward God and men. Okay, one more level of this. If, if you offend someone else, of course we need to ask the Lord's forgiveness, firstly. But we also, if I go and I uh, steal money from Trevor, and I give him the money back, I also have to ask for Trevor's forgiveness as well, in order for my conscience to be good. So we have to take whatever necessary steps that are required in order to maintain a proper conscience. Uh, if we maintain a proper conscience, we will have an incredible life supply in our daily life. We will enjoy Christ so much because we have maintained a conscience that's without offense toward God and man. Okay, one more verse, and we'll close with this. Proverbs 24, 16a. Let's read this. Go. For a righteous man falls seven times and I love this because it says a righteous man falls seven times and rises up again. We're not talking about never committing mistakes here because we're going to commit a lot more mistakes. Even probably before you go to sleep tonight, probably you'll have some more mistakes. Right, Austin? So, even before we go to bed tonight, we might need to say, Lord Jesus, wash me. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Lord Jesus, cleanse me in your blood. Say that last sentence. Lord Jesus, cleanse me in your blood. I would say we have to practice saying that many times. Lord Jesus, cleanse me in your blood. You know what? That will help us maintain a pure conscience, a good conscience, a healthy conscience. And we will maintain a level of life 
that allows us to lay a foundation for the rest of our Christian life to be the testimony of God and God's building on the earth today. Praise the Lord. Amen. The Lord wants us to be exercising Christians, just like the Apostle Paul here. He said, I also exercise myself to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. This will make you a buoyant Christian, a living Christian, and a joyful Christian. Okay? Praise the Lord for becoming a conscience-caring person. May the Lord do this with all of us in our young Christian years as students at UT, learning how to know Him and become people who are laying a foundation that will affect the rest of our Christian life. Becoming a praying person, becoming a Bible-reading person, and becoming a conscience-caring person. Thank you, Lord. Okay. All right, I think now what we want to do is break up in small groups, and we have supplied a little uh, excerpt on the back of ministry. So how about we just break up in groups at four or five, and we'll read this quickly in your group, and then we can uh, come back together here before we dismiss.